welcome to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. Andy is out ill a little bit, not terribly so, but he didn't want to share the love with you. He shared it with me, so what's up with that? Any case, we did pray this morning, but he wasn't feeling 100%, <clears throat> so he thought he'd pass it on. So I'll do the announcements today, and just a big note is youth choir. Most of you know uh, that we'll be holding youth choir practice today after church over at the um, over at the um, apartments here on Culver Street, you know where to go. Uh, folks, it's cold out, so you can hang in here if you'd like, if you're waiting for your children. Uh, the rest of the announcements are pretty much on this uh, bulletin that we have out here. Do want to emphasize Anchored in Truth, and that we're going to that conference. We do appreciate your prayers, so pray for us as we travel and uh, if you still wanted to attend, we, we can work that out, uh, but it'll be a good conference for us to be able to go. And I think, Isaac, I forgot to ask you, but I believe we're bringing a missionary back, Lord willing, uh, to, uh, and we'll preach the following Sunday. So you'll be able to meet uh, a person, uh, one of the missionaries uh, that they send with us. Uh, for that <clears throat> and you can ask questions at that time so we're looking forward to that so keep in um, prayer about that and I also just returned from my son's uh, graduation from uh, basic military training and I appreciate your prayers for that we did make it back although flying in airplanes today is quite the experience I hadn't flown in a while <clears throat> but I heard about what other people go through now I experienced it and firsthand, and it's, it, uh, if, if it wasn't so far to drive, I, I would have driven, but, and I ended up driving part of this trip on the way back, so that's a whole other story, so, but I did make it back, and thankful for your prayers, he's going to probably be there for, in his next training thing, he's, he, he moved to a different fort, and, and working at a hospital, and he'll be there for several months, he might be able to come home early, because he's already achieve some of the requirements that that uh, they were going to train him for but you know how the military is if they've got you they're going to keep you so uh, he may be a little longer than expected or or not so we'll see but I really do appreciate your prayers on his uh, behalf as well as for our family thank you so much let's go ahead and begin our worship time uh, by looking at Psalm 3 and you could just listen if you want oh I did write it down I forgot see Ken and I were talking about forgetting stuff. Ken, I forgot I wrote this in here. <coughs> I, was, I pulled it up in my Bible, but I actually put it in your worship folder. Uh, here you have this Psalm 3, Psalm of David, and I want us to think about this reflectively and then take a moment to pray and prepare our hearts to worship Christ. Uh, if you notice, I, I highlighted Salah. That's really a transliteration of a Hebrew word. And we don't know precisely what Salah meant. Uh, it, best we can tell, it meant to pause. That is to stop and think about what's being said. I do believe that's what the instructions are. And then it gives you the headline here, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, it does set it up as to when this was recorded and what were the circumstances involved. If you remember, he had a rebellious son. And I imagine that's really difficult. Uh, took it really personal. And you can feel the, the pain here that his enemies and foes 
or even of his own kin, his own family against him. And so that's the tough circumstances that he's in, and he writes this psalm as a prayer to God. Let me read it for you, and we'll then go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There's no, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. That's a lot to pause and think about. I'm going to give you a moment now. Reflect on his word and pray and prepare to worship your God. Take a moment now. Father, we come to you now praising your holy name for who you are, for all that you have done, all that you have promised to do. Give us faith to believe. Even in circumstances, whether it's disease or difficulty, rebellion, rejection, whatever the circumstance that we might find ourselves in, I pray that we would be content to know that you are indeed mighty God. And though others may mock and react against us in negative ways, you are a good and great God. In fact, our only protection is you. And you do lift up our head. I pray that our tears would be dried by your compassion. I'm thankful that we can speak as children to you and crying out, Abba, Father, knowing you will hear us. So may we indeed rest, rest and trust in you, regardless of what else might go on. May our first cry be, Lord, save me. Recognize that you will destroy the wicked. You will destroy all who are in rebellion against you, all that raise up their voice, their hands, their hearts against you and indeed redeem us as your people. And so may we live in that state of beloved peace with you. And what a great privilege that is. May we demonstrate it in freedom from anxiety or whatever cares that may come our way. Calm us with your mighty strength. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.
Well, good morning. I'll take your hymn books and stand as we uh, have three hymns to sing together, starting with number 663, O Church Arise. Ephesians 611 tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. 148 he keeps me singing he put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God Psalm 43 148 
God. I've loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. 111. morning, church. What a beautiful, chilly day to praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to be reading from uh, two sections of Scripture, all in a line, beginning in Acts chapter 22, verses 22. If you don't have your Bible this morning, that's going to be page 932 in your pew Bible. Again, that's Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 22. If you don't have your Bible, that's going to be page 932 in your pew Bible. This morning I'm going to read something from Spurgeon. I kind of do this frequently, or John Owen or somebody else, but actually this was, this was actually Spurgeon's morning and evening, the morning from, from today. And uh, we'll get into the relevance here in a minute. But uh, 
I can encourage you all, I saw this on the back table, we've got a fighter versus thing by the bulletins. Um, you know, most people need some organization or structure in, your, in their life. So there's, there's lots of resources online, lots of little uh, book tabs like this, bookmarkers, just to keep us accountable in reading scripture and getting in the word every day and, and thinking deeply every day. That's the most important way to start out your day. So I think that's why I kind of like the, uh, the Spurgeon morning and evening, but there's lots of Puritan resources. There's, there's so many good resources. And if you don't find one that fits you, I'm sure Pastor Wayne, you can ask, or, or one of the other elders, and they can find something that kind of fits your, fits your schedule and fits the way that you learn, because everybody doesn't learn the same way, right? So uh, I'm going to read, just I'm going to jump off here to go to Isaiah 63.1. Uh, Spurgeon this morning talked about mighty to save. Isaiah 63.1. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. By the words to save, we understand the whole of the great work of salvation. From the first holy desire onward to complete sanctification. The words are multum in paro. Excuse my language. Uh, indeed, here is all mercy in one word. Christ is not only mighty to save those who repent, but he is able to make men repent. He will carry those to heaven who believe, but he is, moreover, mighty to give men new hearts and to work faith in them. He is mighty to make the man who hates holiness love it and to constrain the despiser of his name to bend the knee before him. Nay, this is not all the meaning, for the divine power is equally seen in the afterwork. The life of a believer is a series of miracles wrought by the mighty God. The bush burns, but it is not consumed. He is mighty to keep his people holy after he has made them so, and to preserve them in his fear and love until he consummates their spiritual existence in heaven. Christ's might doth not lie in making a believer and then leaving him to shift for himself. But he who begins the good work carries it on. He who imparts the first gem of life in the dead soul prolongs the divine existence and strengthens it until it bursts asunder every bond of sin and the soul leaps from earth perfected in Christ's glory. Believer, here is encouragement. Art thou praying for some beloved one? Oh, give not up thy prayers, for Christ is mighty to save. You are powerless to reclaim the rebel, but your Lord is almighty. Lay hold on that mighty arm, and rouse it put forth its strength. Does your own case trouble you? Fear not, for his strength is sufficient for you. Whether to begin with others, or to carry on the work in you, Jesus is mighty to save. The best proof, proof of which lies in the fact that he has saved you. What a thousand mercies that you have not found him mighty to destroy. What a deep passage. Fantastic. Let's go over to Acts chapter 22, verse 22. And we're going to continue uh, basically the beginning of Paul's trials in Jerusalem for, for proclaiming the message that Christ is mighty to save. So uh, let's read the scripture together. This is God's word. Up to this word they listened to him, 
Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you not a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had, been, and he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the reason for why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and sat him before them. Chapter 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said, and when he had said, this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into their barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, God. We thank you for this time of fellowship together, Lord. We pray for our suffering brothers and sisters around the world that are meeting in secret now just to praise and worship you. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that we do not deserve. We're totally depraved in our sin apart from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Thank you again, Lord, for the sound of children in the church. We want to pray today, Lord, for the salvation of our children. Lord, may we preach and live godly lives to our children in our homes and set an example that glorifies Christ and points them to a life in repentance in you. Lord, help us to live as a set-apart people in this world, living for the world to come, not for this world. Help us to be servants, Lord, in all aspects of our lives, servants to one another, servants in the church, servants at home, 
service at work. We thank you again, Lord, for a church that desires sound teaching. We ask that you continue to bring more brothers and sisters in Christ who hunger for holiness and have a hunger most of all for your word. We desire, Lord, to exalt your name today. We ask, God, that you soften the world from our ears and open our hearts. Lord, first in worship and then through the preaching of your word. We ask that you be with Pastor Wayne today as he delivers your word. We ask, Lord, that you break hard hearts today and save anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This week, Lord, give us strength and the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We ask, Lord, that you take the blessing today. Guide us to use it wisely. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Philippians 4, 6 tells us to don't worry about anything, but in everything, let your request be known to God. So let's stand and let's take our hymn books once more and turn to number 429 and sing about the great privilege we have of prayer and that as we sing these words, be convicted that we don't pray enough in our daily life. Sweet hour of prayer, 429.
Amen. Thank you, Blake. Amber and Church. <clears throat> and I agree, Blake, that the Christian life should be a life that is characterized by prayer. <clears throat> Formally, informally, corporately, and individually. <coughs> Excuse me. And individually. Our life is to be about prayer, to pray always, and know that Christ is praying for you. We've learned that in the book of Hebrews, which we'll return to, Lord willing, next week and pick up Hebrews 10, if you want to prepare yourself to worship Christ in his word next week. This week, I want to do a third part of just to finish off this sermon. just takes me a little longer to get through things, so I'll set myself a deadline to finish today, Lord willing. And we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're basing this on Matthew 16, 18, where Christ said he would build his church. But we'll look at 1 Corinthians 12. And <clears throat> I didn't even bother doing much of an outline because I want to see what I can get through on 1 Corinthians 12. And I think you'll get the idea of it <clears throat> as we walk through it. And I won't read out the entire text. I'll just walk through it as we go because there's some aspects of it which can be very confusing, and rather than pausing during the reading, I'll just preach through it and read uh, a few lines at a time. We began this series, really, on the state of the church, which we're going to then unpack in more uh, teaching on our Wednesday night series, so you could join us on Zoom for that, uh, for the uh, uh, more details concerning this concept of building a healthy church. But fundamentally, this is based on, and how we began in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus Christ says, I will build my church. It is the future. The church didn't exist prior to Christ's incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the, his ascension, and then sending the Holy Spirit in a unique way to his people, the church, a unique institution that Christ said he would build. It is the, what we gather together today as God's people called the church. It is Christ's church. It belongs to him. He is ultimately the head, whether it's the churches collectively or individually here. I'm not in charge. Jesus Christ is charge. I'm simply a steward of this gift that he has given <clears throat> and a servant of Jesus Christ, as we all are. He is the authority. We also looked at Matt in um, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul reminds <clears throat> the church at Ephesus that because of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, in conjunction with that, he has gifted those that are part of his body. He has gifted them with gifts. Gifts are, uh, which we'll discuss in greater detail here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The, the gifting that he gives is, is not only the leadership, but also the laity. All of us have been gifted by Jesus Christ and empowered through the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that in greater detail in just a moment. 
The primary role for the gifting of those who would function in the role of leadership within the church is to equip God's people for the very work of the ministry. That's where we left off last time. And if you go through our membership class and, and uh, express membership here, we collectively repeat our covenant and some lines of it express this idea of our engagement with one another. When it says, and I'll read a few lines from our covenant, we will pray and work for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is collectively together. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes members of a Christian church, or you can think of the body of Christ. <clears throat> and furthermore, we will exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may arise. This is talking about what we do as the body of Christ who have been then equipped for the work of the ministry. This is an expression of the ministry in which we're engaged in. It isn't, all, it isn't necessarily and uh, perhaps not very much uh, in, a, in a public way. It's very much expressed in a private way. It'll go on to say we will endeavor to bring up as... Uh, such as may at any time be under our care, notice our care, <clears throat> not, not just the, the pastor's care, the leader's care, but we together under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And by being a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We do this together. We rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. If you really loved somebody and cared for somebody and they achieved something of great uh, merit, you, you would rejoice, right? If they're going through a great difficulty and you really cared for them and loved with them, you would have great sympathy for them. You understand that? Well, this is what the church does. The true regenerate body of Christ we care for one another. We serve one another. In Galatians, there's a mandate in Galatians chapter 6 where it says, brothers, he's talking to a church then. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should gossip about them. Wait a minute, that's the wrong translation. That was some weird one. <clears throat> it really says, you know, you should then restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is what we're, we're called to do. This is what church discipline actually is about. It's about calling people to repentance and faith. If they step out of line, it, the, the whole point of the congregation equipped to do the work of the ministry would be, let's see it, what we can do to confront them so that they would be in fellowship with Christ and thus in fellowship with Christians and the church. Paul would go on, by the way, to say <coughs> to keep watch on yourself while you're doing this, of course, lest you be tempted. In other words, examine yourself first and then go seek others and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
This is not a request. This is a requirement. To, to be spiritual in this case, you who are spiritual, that is spiritual in opposed to that which is carnal or fleshy. It's a call to be gentle with one another, not caustic. Certainly confront, but do so with gentleness because the whole point is to help them heal. I mean, if somebody's injured, you, you, you just you have to treat them with great care so that they can recover and be healed. That's the imagery there. And then finally, as I mentioned, to watch yourself. This is to engage with one another. If you're reading through in preparation for Hebrews 10, towards the end of it, you're going to get to a familiar passage in verse 25, but I'll read it for you because it, it, it encapsulates the same concept of our work of the ministry with one another. In verse 24 of chapter 10 in Hebrews, it says, consider then, he's talking to the congregation then, then consider, after he's given them all this doctrine, and, and, and moving forward to the exemplars in chapter 11, he says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not how to stir them up to anger, right? And, and to, to disappointment or to be disengaged with the church. How, how to encourage them. This is, a, this is a, a, a directive from this preacher. And then he says, don't neglect to meet together as the habit of some is. It, you know, the, the coming to the church, you, could you imagine me I was saying, oh, well, I just don't feel like going today. I'm just going to go do something else. Again, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, if you will, but it, I, you know that I'm, it's essential for me to be here. And if I'm not going to be here, I'm going to make sure somebody takes my place. And with Blake and with, and with uh, Jerry and, well, Andy doesn't matter. He just does announcements. I'm just joking because he's not here, but he might be looking in, and he's smiling now. We love you, Andy. Each one of us has an important role, but could I say this? Each one of you has an essential role, and so coming to church isn't just coming to, to engage and to be, fulfill some sort of legal requirement. It's actually to be part of the body of Christ and to fulfill your ministry. My primary role is to equip you to do that. That's why I'm preaching. That's why I'm explaining. That's why I'm demonstrating this kind of thing. In fact, we're called not to neglect to meet together because we need one another. That's why. I need you just as much as, as, as you might need me. And let me tell you, I, I can't express this, uh, and this is why I never get finished here because I keep going off the rails. But <clears throat> I can't express what an incredible joy it is to come to fellowship with you, to, to worship Christ with you. I mean, some days I'm not feeling great physically. I get that. And, other, and times I might not be able to because of certain circumstances. I get that. But you know what I look forward to every week? Worshiping Christ, not by myself, but with you. It, it, it's a great blessing. And to get to know you and to, to, to be encouraged by you. Great encouragement to me, and, and whether it's in, in prayers or just a, a word, he says in this text here, do, do this uh, to meet together so that you encourage one another. That's the point. Life can be very discouraging. 
a call to be encouraging and specifically even the more so as you see the day drawing near. What day is that talking about? The judgment of Christ coming to the world, the hope of his return for those that are in Christ. And so this is what we do in the midterm. Now, you know this, and I'll just give you some examples of this just to uh, point, point this out. If you were to search in the scriptures for this idea of one another, you're going to see this concept repeated over and over in scripture. The, the point that I'm trying to make is for us to be a biblically sound and healthy church, we not only need music that points to the glory of God, and that's our attempt in that. Prayers that are uh, true and, and confessional to God and in Christ. The, the reading of his word, the proclamation of his word, but also, and that's what this is about, the engagement with one another. You have a ministry. Christianity and the church is not a spectator sport. Okay? And it's one of the reasons we do the kinds of things we do. And again, I'm not trying to criticize people in how they do things, but I prefer to have you sing a lot, engage in singing, and not mask your singing with other people singing over you. Okay? I know there's different styles and different ways to do that, but that's what we're attempting to do, to get you engaged. And I know this is a time for you to, to hear God's word and, and to listen and to receive. But there'll be other times and to be equipped and take this forward and apply it in your own life and minister to others that God would put in your life. I can't, I, I want to thank you again for all the years that I've been here and those of you who have poured your soul and life into the lives of my children. It, it is really uh, born a lot of fruit in time in how their character and commitment is. And a lot of that comes from your engagement with them in very simple ways. Sometimes it's very direct and more hands-on. Other times it's less direct. But look, all these little kids we have, they're all growing up. Okay? And your influence in their life is significant. And they're going to see a day <laughs> that's approaching that doesn't look very bright. And so they'll need that. In any case, I'll just go through, a highlight a couple of these along the way. <clears throat> we're, we're called, this is not a um, request. This is a requirement from Jesus Christ our Lord. He tells the church, John 13, love one another. Romans 12, be devoted to one another. Uh, again, in Romans 12, to honor one another, to honor them above yourself, to live in harmony with one another, Romans 12. Romans 14, to, to build up one another, that is to build them up in the faith, be like-minded towards one another, Romans 15. Again, this is going to take some work. First, through regeneration to change your heart. Second, to renew your mind and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these kinds of things. I mean, we have to look at this and say, well, really, uh, I hold myself as the primary 
I don't think of others as better than myself. I might want to confess that, but in reality, I spend a lot of time thinking about me. Fortunately, you don't have that problem, I guess, but I digress. To admonish one another, you know, that's hard, isn't it? Romans 15. Admonish someone is, is to correct them. And, and again, we already talked about how to do that, to do that in the spirit of gentleness. That is a spirit of love. But if you really love somebody, you would, would admonish them when they get out of line. And those that receive that admonishment should recognize, oh, well, this one does so because he actually cares for my soul. You know, just to gloss over it and forget about it, it, it doesn't help them, doesn't build them up, it doesn't correct them. To truly care for one another, Romans 12. To serve one another, Galatians 5. To bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. To forgive one another, Ephesians 4. To be patient with one another, again, Ephesians 4. To be kind and compassionate towards one another, Ephesians 4. To submit to one another, Ephesians 5. To consider yourself, others better than yourself. That's very similar. Philippians 2. To look in the interest of others. Same passage. To bear one another. Colossians 3. Teach one another. Colossians 3. Comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5. Exhort one another. Hebrews 3. Show hospitality one to another. 1 Peter 4. To pray for one another. James 5. And to confess your faults to one another. James 5 as well. And that list can go on and on and on. Look for it and note it in Scripture. Again, the, the, these are commands of Christ not suggestions. This is what the church should be characterized by. In that way, then, every member, then, is truly a minister one to another. They're ministers in the way that God has uniquely equipped you in life and empowered you by the Holy Spirit to serve in a capacity that is uh, uniquely fitted to the particular need. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as I mentioned, I'm not going to read through the whole text. We'll just look at a few verses, discuss it, and move on to the next. <clears throat> but to give you a foundation for it to examine later. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word. We want to hear from Christ today. We want to hear what you would say to the church. Receive it and build your church in the shape that you desire, that which would conform to Christ and express the light of the glory of his grace. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, let's look at this idea of the gifting that Christ has given to the entire church. In verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Here the spiritual gifts are mentioned. These are the gifts given by Christ to the church. We already talked about in Ephesians 4. The church here at Corinth apparently was ignorant or uninformed about the aspects of this gifting. So Paul is going to provide information for them, which is applicable to all churches that would follow. 
Now, in their case, and let me explain and set this up, because some of this 1 Corinthians 12 might be confusing. They were in a unique period of time, a transitional period of time, when many saints within the church, because of the need, were gifted with some special and unique gifts. The scripture was not complete at that time. Remember, Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, a letter to a church that already exists. Okay? So at that particular time, in that period, some of the saints were given quite spectacular gifts. And they weren't given, as you'll see as the text unfolds, to make much of that individual. It was necessary. It, they were given what we would call supernatural um, sign gifts, if you will, to do two things. One, authenticate the message and the messenger. Okay? How is that authenticated now? By the completion of his word. You can go to this and measure if what someone is saying is so. Examine the scripture. But, but at that time, they didn't have all of the scripture completed and written. So what happened within the church, particularly Corinth, they had a lot of issues, and this is just one of them. Some of them falsified and were faking the very spectacular gifts because you know, if you can do something spectacular, then you get special notice. <laughs> and there were some genuine, spectacular, I'm calling it, gifts. All gifts are supernatural in the sense they're given by Christ and exceed our nature. But, but these are very showy gifts that some had, and many were falsifying their activity. There were others who might demonstrate, let's say, a, a word of prophecy, a true proclamation that's consistent with what the apostles wrote, or speak in a certain sign gift called tongues in a, in a foreign language, which they didn't learn uh, and know, but actually could speak out for purposes for which God had. And those seemed to be quite spectacular. So some were jealous of that and wanted the same thing to get some recognition and notoriety, perhaps. Instead, what should happen within the church if something like that occurred in a spectacular way is to be to honor and, and not to be jealous of what was going on. Notice here that, the, um, that they were led astray, verse 2. They were led astray prior to the regeneration and this gifting by Christ. All men outside of Christ are in this condition. They're being led astray, led astray by the devil. So now in Christ, they don't need to know, they no longer need to be led astray because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he gives gifts, that is supernatural enablements, to those who are believers, those who are regenerate, those who are the called. And now look at verse 3. He says, so, he didn't want you to be uninformed, verse 1, so, understand, verse 3. So what is it you're going to understand? That no one 
speaking in the Spirit of God, ever says that Jesus is accursed. And on the opposite side, no one can or does the ability to say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul is referring to a true confession of faith. It's what he told the church at Rome, if you remember. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Those who truly believe in their heart, it affects what they say, and they confess Jesus is Lord. But notice in our in our text, in verse 3, it is the enablement of the Holy Spirit. No one can do this on their own initiative. Oh, yes, they could actually say the words, Jesus is Lord, but he's talking about the reality, and when he talks about the heart, he's not talking about the emotions, he's talking about the thought, that is the mind, where your mind is truly convinced and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To confess him as Lord is more than saying something. It affects your actions and your attitudes and your affections. It affects all of what you do. That's what is meant by confession, It's Jesus is Lord. It's not just actually saying something. There's many people who say that, who will agree with and say some sort of confession. But what needs to occur is actually a change of heart. And that's what he's getting to and getting here that uh, really that the Holy Spirit works in the heart of the believer where they confess indeed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, and you don't have to turn now, you can stay in Corinthians, I'll just read it for you. Matthew chapter 7, you're probably familiar with it. Here, Jesus says in verse 21 of Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See what he's saying? It's not just a superficial confession. In fact, when he repeats, Lord, Lord, that seems like a very serious confession, right? To, to repeat it, Lord, and then Lord. Not just Jesus is Lord, but Lord, Lord. A deep commitment. But the scary thing is here Jesus says, well, not everyone who expresses that with their mouth is actually genuinely redeemed, regenerate, saved. So how do you examine yourself? He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A true confession of faith that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit results in a new life in which not only do you say something, but you do something. Right? The, the doing doesn't bring about that regeneration, but rather is a result of it, and, should I say, it is necessary. Right? I mean, you, you can go search the Internet and find out a good confession of faith and all of the principles of belief. But the thing you have to examine in your own heart, is there a genuine desire to do God's will? And when I fall away from what he has prescribed to do, is there some conviction in my heart? Not that anyone else will see what I have done. No one may know, but 
it's even those things that are done in private. Do you cry out, search me, O God, and, and know my way. See if there's any evil way in me. That, that's the imagery that's going. A contrite heart, the psalmist would, would say that is. That's what we're looking at. A real, genuine confession of faith brought about through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. Scary thing, Jesus says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And, and that matches up with this thing in Corinthians where Paul was challenging them, some of them giving false prophets. And didn't we cast out demons in your name and, and then do mighty works? He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If it isn't of faith, it is sin. Okay? If it isn't produced by a regenerate heart, enabled by the Holy Spirit, it is of, of no value. And that's a scary thing. And so the call is then to examine your own heart. Where is this confession from? Is it not just a commitment to a particular creed, but it is a genuine response to Christ? By the way, those parents here that have children, preach them the gospel, call them to make a commitment and a confession of faith, and do it on a regular basis. Be patient with them. But as they grow, always challenge them to examine their own heart. I have many friends whose children have confessed Jesus is Christ is Lord and now have nothing to do with him. And now essentially say that Jesus is accursed, accursed in the sense they're no longer following his way. And that's a great grief. It's a great grief for you personally. But I tell you, it's a great grief for me too. And I pray, and I pray for your children often and always. It's going to take a real work of the Holy Spirit in their heart to change their life. So keep preaching and keep praying and be patient. Never stop. Like the lady in the parable in the Gospels with Jesus, she just kept knocking on the door. Don't stop knocking. Do your final breath. Keep praying and be patient and pray that they'll come to truly confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And don't confirm them in their sin. Admonish them and challenge them and call them to life. I have friends who are satisfied with their children in rebellion and just kind of cover it up because they made some confession at some point in time and they were dunked in water. That isn't going to save you. It's going to have to be a divine work of the Holy Spirit. And when you're out of line in what you do, in other words, you're, you're not doing the will of Christ, you're disobedient to his word, that's the measurement, so you, so you admonish them. So, well, how does what you're doing compare to what Christ said? I want to challenge you. Again, you do it in gentleness, spirit of love. You're trying to bring them back, but yet you still challenge and you admonish them. That's the loving thing to do, not to pretend that their little confession was sufficient. Call them to examine themselves and examine yourself constantly. And not, not frantically trust in the redemption that is in Christ, but, but do you really have a heart and an affection to do God's will? When, when challenged with his word, do you say, yeah, I'm going to confess. I, I, wish, I wish I wouldn't do that kind of thing. 
But is there something there that causes you to want to confess and conform to Christ? Paul said in the second letter to the church of Corinth in chapter 13, in verse 5, he does tell them, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, he says. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? That's a test each of us should take. And teach your children that as well, to examine themselves. All right, back to verse 4. About these gifts that he has given to all who are truly regenerate, he says there's variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Remember, he's talking to the body of Christ. He's not talking to the pastor, the elders, or whatnot. He's talking about you and me, all of us, together. And he talks about this variety, gifts, service, and activities. Here's MacArthur's comment on that, and he's written much on this topic, and I would commend all of his work on it uh, from the very early days to what he's done now, and most of that's available online for free, or if you want to get a specific book, there's some things there, but he's done a good job on teaching on this concept, and I'll just highlight a couple of points. He talks about these spiritual gifts that are mentioned here, as divine enablements, I think that's a good way to think about it, divine enablements for ministry, that is to service for one another, all those one another commands, how are you going to do that? Well, God has given you a divine enablement to be able to do that. It's given by the Holy Spirit in some measure to all believers. They're to be completely under His control and used for the building up of the church to his glory. When Christ says, I'm going to build the church, well, he's ascended into heaven. How's he going to do that? Well, he empowers those that are regenerate with the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work. Christ's ministry. I dealt with somebody in a real difficult situation one time, and you know what one of the most beautiful phrases I got back from them? was, you are Christ to me. You see what I'm saying? I'm not Christ, but gifted by Christ, made regenerate, empowered by the Holy Spirit, communicated, and, and that person received that help as a work of Christ on, for their behalf. Right? That's how it's going to be accomplished within the church, and it, and it is beautiful. MacArthur goes on to say, these gifts have to be distinguished from the mystical experiences called ecstasy and enthusiasm. And he calls ecstasy the, the idea of a supernatural, sensuous communion with a deity. Enthusiasm is divination, dreams, revelations, and visions. All of those are part of paganism and was rampant in this particular church in Corinth. You see, they're getting true gifts from the Holy Spirit, and they're distinguished from that which is 
paganism. There are categories of gifts that they were given. And I would just, to simplify them, I'll give you two categories as you're reading through this text. One, I would call sign gifts. I've already mentioned that. And the other is service gifts. They were specific, spectacular gifts, if you will, in, in, in the spectacular in the sense of out, and out of the ordinary in which people at that time were able to do, and there was a purpose in it, and you'll see it even here. You don't see it much in the epistles because this was only at the very beginning. The letter to the church of Corinth was the first one written. It was very early in the establishment of the churches. He said, these are miracles, healing, the languages, as I mentioned, the tongues, which was a form of both judgment and the gospel going forth. See Acts chapter, first couple of chapters in the book of Acts. These were temporary sign gifts. They were limited to the apostolic era, era and are ceased. They are now ceased. Their purpose, and this is what I agree with, it was to authenticate the apostles who are sent by Christ. Right? Christ did all kinds of miracles beyond what you could ever imagine. Uh, everybody was getting healed, not some people. They'd all show up, they'd all be healed. Right? He, he takes a couple pieces of bread and, and some fish, and he feeds everybody, and there's tons left over. Right? That, I could go on and on. He walks on the water. He speaks and the, and the winds and waves obey his voice. Nothing like that has ever occurred. And then the apostles come on the scene and they do a little bit, no, never anywhere close to what Christ did, but they do some and they're astonished themselves that they can even cast out devils. They can't imagine all of this. But their experience wanes in time. If you remember, by the time Paul talks to his protege Timothy, he tells them he no longer heals him because of his ailment and his stomach. He says, take a little bit of medicine. Their message is the true word of God, and it needed to be authenticated. And God did by demonstrating it through these spectacular gifts, sign gifts. Now that this is complete, they can go off of this. You don't need special gifts to make sure they're in line with Christ's teaching, which he taught his apostles, which now they wrote down, all of it sufficient. And, by the way, it was written down through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is now completed. It is self-authenticated. It doesn't need authenticity anymore. It, the, the word, if you want to say, is he speaking something true from God? You know how you're going to know? Right there. Look at it. You don't, you don't need me to say, oh, I got this private revelation from God, and here I'm going to tell you what it is. Well, how would you know that I got a private revelation from God that is true? Look in the word of God. That is the place for our objective measurement of what is being said and what is true. All right. Let's look at our text. Um, 
Notice here, I was going to say something about, you can follow this up in chapter uh, 12 of Romans. That's another section that deals with these gifts. And due to time, I'm not going to spend time in that. But essentially, it, it uh, pretty much parallels this and in, engages the idea that God gives gifts to the church and to each individual member. It is called grace, and we're called to use them, to use them to build up the church. There are different gifts that you could expect in the church today. Some are speaking gifts, and others are serving gifts, if you want to categorize them that way. Speaking gifts would be those things that are verbal and serving nonverbal, if you will. All of them are given by the Holy Spirit individually to each member to bring about the building up of the church exercised through these one another commands. And here I'll just read Peter's remark on this gift from 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, right? he's got the same concept there. We're given gifts from Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. We're given a gift. Use it to serve one another. That's what the gift is for. As good stewards of God's varied grace. That's 1 Peter 4.10, if you want to save it and look it up later. The point of the gift here is to serve one another, to use in that way. And it's called, in our translation here, God's varied grace. You know what the imagery here is for varied grace? It's, think of multicolored, if you will, uh, like a prism of light, if you will, reflecting out, just varied in that sense. So when you see some of these gifts that are actually specifically listed, whether it's helps or given, giving or mercy or faith or discernment and things like that, I would argue that uh, those uh, categories, uh, it, it goes far beyond that. And each person is uniquely comprised of a multivariance of that particular gift. In other words, I just don't have a gift to speak. I have a gift to serve as well, right? And uniquely in gifted to serve what? To serve this particular body of Christ. That's where it's at, okay? And it's within this local church. And that's what's significant and important. It isn't to go start some sort of ministry, parachurch ministry, we talk about it now, and to serve in all kinds of different ways. I would th think that's fine to do if it is a part of a local church in which sends out and accomplishes things in ministry or is subject to a body of Christ. But you know what Christ is going to build? He's going to build his church. And I appreciate good organizations and what they do for good causes in the world, which there are many. But Christ is, is what, where, where is his laser focus? The church. And, and does a church like our size need help in accomplishing other tasks that we'd like to do? Let's just take the idea of, of missions. Yeah, we do. 
This is why we have partnered with another church that, that has some more resources. So our little resources can go to help and we can be a part of that and join together. But all of it is subject to Christ the head who has then appointed those who would be in leadership and all of those that are part in that process, that is the members of it, because they're all members of Christ. Not some sort of organization where you're just working for them like a secular organization that is able to raise a lot of money and accomplish much. I, I got off on a tangent, sorry. Varied grace. What I, all I want to strive here is don't be so focused on, oh, I wonder specifically what my gift is. Maybe I have the gift of helps. Maybe I have the gift of giving. Maybe I have the gift of and whatever it is. I would argue that your, your gift is multivaried. It has different dimensions of, of essentially all of it. It's sort of like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, those kinds of things, right? All of it is, and we have all of it. Then, Well, I have the joy fruit, and, and that one here has the patience. I don't have any of that patience. No. Through Christ, you do. Now, someone may have a greater uh, preponderance of patience or love or grace, whatever it might be, joy, that's understandable, but I think we all do have it. That's the imagery here of this multi-varied grace. He goes on, whoever speaks then, verse 11, as one who speaks the oracles of God. That is, when we speak, you have a speaking gift, a teaching gift, make sure what you're saying conforms to what Christ has said. Oracles of God is his divine revelation. Not my ideas about it, but his. Whoever then serves... And here's the other category, the speaking, and then you have the serving. Whoever serves, serves as by the strength that God supplies. So here it is. It's not, it's not done about in the flesh. It is motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In order that in everything, God then might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To, and it ends with this benediction. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. All right, back to 1 Corinthians 12. These divine enablements are given. They're given to build up the church to the glory of God. And, as I mentioned, every person is gifted. And it's, that concept is, is emphasized here in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 12. Notice, 4 to 1 is given, and he's given these different types of gifts here in their concept. One's given to the Spirit, utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. And particularly, remember, they wouldn't have the written word. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish then between spirits, that is to know what's right and wrong, to another various kinds of tongues, to another an interpretation of tongues. Some of these gifts, as I've already indicated, are sign gifts and are descriptive rather than prescriptive. Okay? Just, just because someone has this particular gift doesn't mean that you're going to have this gift 
or that it will be manifest in the church at another time, particularly if it is no longer needed and if it obscures what is truth, and that is his word. Notice verse 11. All of these are empowered by the one and same spirit, and here's the phrase, who apportions to each one individually how? As he wills. That's how it comes about. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is empowered. It is all through the Holy Spirit. And he gives to each individual as he chooses. Well, I would like to do this or that or the other thing. If you're a slave of Christ, if he is the Lord, he determines what you would do. That's how that works out. Notice, every gift is empowered supernaturally. Every individual is empowered to minister within the body. And it is all directed by Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And now he's going to jump into this analogy of a body to help us understand this because we can relate easier to a physical illustration as opposed to this uh, immaterial dynamic that is mentioned here. He describes it as, as a body. And notice, as a human body is one, so, and, and yet there are individuals that are involved, but this oneness is brought together. That's the idea of the body of Christ. I think I've mentioned this before. One of our country's mottos, e pluribus unum Latin, out of many, one. That's a good imagery of what's going here. Uh, our church, our uh, culture has... Um, has uh, slid down the slide of insanity <laughs> to this point, and really has this totally backward, because there's no more uh, a, a biblical foundation for concepts. This whole idea of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you're going to hear a lot and a lot more of it. Uh, it. It's an attempt to create peace among rebels without changing their heart. It's not going to happen, okay? All it really does is create a platform for someone to pretend they have virtue instead of vice, right? That's what they're doing. They're building their worldview on sand and not the rock of Christ. And Okay, I'll give you this illustration. I know I'm about out of time. Bear with me. I just got back from the military graduation of my son. And obligatory almost in one of the presentations was how they're committed. This is the military. They're committed to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. No, they're not. They just say it. Okay? You you know why? Because uh, he, he's not equal with the general. <laughs> There's a hierarchy of order. 
and what they do. And, in fact, within his own ranks, he was, he was declared to be, I think, the element leader. Okay? He's different. He has a different role to play. Okay? It, it wouldn't function otherwise. Not everyone is gifted to do the same thing. They attempted to have some very weak people carry these guidons. They're called like little flags with long poles. And there was a few of them that had to sit there and hold it like this. You know why? They weren't the strongest to hold it. They weren't equipped to do the job. But this whole idea of DEI, oh, well, we've got to put this little bitty 90-pound person to hold this thing that they can barely hold. And they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to hold it out with one arm and this other arm. Well, actually, I think it's the wrong arm, whatever arm it is. But you got the point. One arm is supposed to be swinging while they're marching. The other is holding this up. Well, this little 90-pound couldn't do it. Then here comes a guy that's about 200 pounds as strong as an ox, and it really looks good and right. That's the difference, see. Not everybody is equipped to do the same thing. We're all of equal value because being made in the image of God, but we don't serve in the same capacity. There's a diversity to that part, and it is beautiful so that they fit together and become one. And I don't really have time to go through all of this, and I, I, I pledge to go on next time, so I'll let you look at it. But, but go, go ahead and look at verse 13. We're in, notice the unity that that is mentioned. We are all in one spirit, verse 13, baptized into the body. That is, baptism here is talking about immersion. That is, we're all made one, okay? All of us. And then he describes different categories. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. We're all made to drink of the one spirit. There is a distinction but, but that diversity is brought into unity, how? Through the Holy Spirit, through a supernatural work. By the way, that is the only way you're really going to bring about true unity is through the regenerate work of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it comes about. And then he'll go in verse 14. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but many. Okay? So, th- so that's where the diversity is, certainly. But you know what the strength is? The oneness. And whether it's in the model of a country, our, our unity together but recognizing we have different roles, different responsibilities, and different gifts. I can't do your work, by the way. You're uniquely equipped to do the work of the ministry. So it would not be helpful for me to run around and do all the work. I'm not afraid of work. I'm glad to do work. But you know what? You can do it better because you're gifted to do that, and you're, you're needed and the analogy here, he'll go on, and I'm sure you've read this. He, he uses this idea of the foot in verse 15. If it says, well, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. How foolish, <laughs> right? That can't be, you know? I, I mean, the, the foot, most of the time, it, it's sitting there. It's covered up. You don't see those little toes. In fact, if I take my shoes off, it doesn't really even smell that great, right? I'm not going to try it. Don't worry. But you get the point. That's the imagery he's making. He said, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm just going to go away. Well, then you're going to be limping. It it, it won't function 
the way it's designed. And when something really small, insignificant, unknown is hurt or damaged, does it affect the whole thing? Yes. Watch me stub my toe, which I'm not going to do for you, but you've done. You know what you're going to do? You're going to scream out to some degree in pain, at least do a grimace at the very least, hit it really hard, and you might hear something audible. You know why? Because every member matters. That's his whole point. You matter. And for Christ to build his church, he has designed the way it would work, not that we're better one than the other. There are some that are more visible. And by the way, this is a beautiful thing about the military, the, the, how they um, generally treat one another. They don't think of each other as better. They have different roles and responsibilities. They're, they're unified. They all march together. They all follow, when it's done right, the orders that have set up. What a, what a beautiful illustration that is. Beautiful illustration here for the body and how every part is necessary. You know, even the parts that we don't fully understand. There was a time in medical history where they started cutting parts off of people because they didn't think it mattered. And then they found it, it did. <laughs> don't get a part cut off unless you have to get a cut off, okay? Because God designed it for a purpose. And God designed you for a purpose. What? To be a part of his church. So I just want to encourage you, don't, don't neglect your gathering together. It isn't that we have some sort of requirement to fulfill, something to check off. You're necessary. Even those that are very quiet. We have members right now that are very ill. But they're praying. And prayer means a lot. I don't know the way God has gifted you. All of us have been gifted in different ways. But express your gifts one to another. Christ will build his church through that means. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. You have given us that which is sufficient. I pray, Father, that we would trust you and exercise the unique abilities that you've given one to each of us, one to another, that we might be unified in a body of Christ, confessing our sin one to another, recognizing our individual insufficiencies, but our sufficiency ultimately in Christ and empowerment by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work of the ministry. Holy Father, I pray you would use this church to save many, save all our sons and daughters truly to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and may the work of the ministry accomplished by your people work in such a way to, to bring many to the conformity of your Son. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd give you just a moment to reflect on these words, and then I'll pray for us.
God so composed the body that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Father, bless the proclamation of your word. May it accomplish what you desire. In Christ's name, amen. Stand and turn to 313 in our hymnals. Take the name of Jesus with you, 313. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever amen you're dismissed